Before we begin, let us all take a moment to pay homage to the perfect one, the most magnificent one, the fully awakened one, the undefeated one, he who is the teacher, the 10,000 world systems, he who is our guide, our master, and he who teaches us the path to our deliverance. Let us take a moment to pay veneration to the supremely enlightened one. And as we do, remind ourselves our purpose, our objective, our ambition, why we are here. So let us bring our hands together and chant the Namaskar. Namo tasse. Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namothasa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namothasa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa I hope by now you're beginning to realize that we live in a self-centric world. Everything that happens around you, things that people do, if ever you wanted to muster any support, to redeem yourself, from this self-centeredness, there is none, none of that. Absolutely none. Because we live in a self-centric world. Everything you see around you is a product of an effort to sustain, preserve the self. Everything you see around you is there for a reason and that reason is because that is what satisfies one. It will be different for different people. One thing for one, but the other, something else for the other. Which again is solid proof and evidence that this is a hallucination. Because if it was the self for everyone, then it should all be the same. But nonetheless, when you're out and about, when you're with friends, sometimes amongst family, if they don't know what this is all about, what you'll realize is pretty much everything that happens, I'd say virtually everything that happens is for one purpose and for one reason. That is to keep this drama going. This is a drama. You're on a stage, everyone else is there with you, and they're all acting. They're all acting out a script. A script that is based on, founded on, the self. So don't you be looking for any support from out there. 
to help you with on your on your journey. Don't you be looking for any support for that, because you're not going to find it. That's because it's not it's not because people are bad. I'm not saying there's injustice in the world and we are fighting to change that. You can't help it when someone's going crazy. They can't help it. A lunatic can't help their lunacy. It's not a choice that they have made. If you catch a cold, can you stop yourself from sneezing? Can you? No. It's too late then. That's why the best form of treatment is prevention. Not treatment, but the best way to be safe is to be is to prevent. But once you have been infected, then who knows when the cure will come. So you you walking around going places, being with friends, going to the theaters, the cinema, the ship, the shopping the, the shopping mall, the supermarkets. You know, pretty much anywhere and everywhere, you're not going to get any support to free yourself because no one knows the plight that they're all in. Do you remember the analogy of the prison that I gave you once? If you were imprisoned, when you could understand what's going on, you know you've done, you've committed a crime, right? At least then you know you have been imprisoned. Meaning, you will always want to get out of it. But imagine a child being born to a man and woman who are in prison. What do they know about the world outside those four walls? Do they? Is there a way that they could? No, because that's all they've ever known. So there is no inspiration, there's no motivation, there's no determination, and there's no discipline to get out of there. As an aside, the reason I mentioned those four words is because it is those four words that will get you out of this myriad. You need inspiration to see a destination. Inspiration will show you that. Motivation will get you up on your feet. Determination will keep you on the track even when things go out of plan. But it's discipline that will get you there. No amount of motivation, no amount of inspiration, and no amount of determination will get you to your destination. That is discipline, pure discipline. That's the hard work. Do you know why most people are unsuccessful in this world? They're very motivated. You know, people love to listen to motivational speakers, don't they? They get paid by the second for being on stage and giving a good talk. And they should be. Not because they can give a good talk, but because they have walked the walk and therefore they can inspire others, they can motivate others, but there's one thing they cannot do.
they can't be disciplined on their behalf. So see how much of these things, these qualities, we have in our lives. It's very important. That's why it's not enough. I remember last Saturday, if you were at the monastery, Saturday morning, when we did the Singhala sermon. I, remind, I reminded everyone that you can't attain Nibbana the way you are. The way you are right now, you can't get to Nibbana because you need to change. And change is a gradual process. But change has to happen incessantly. It has to keep on happening. But it's the discipline that's going to get you there. And I said, don't wait for Saturday to attend Nibbana. Saturday is the day you come to the monastery. Fair enough. It's the day you get to listen to Guru Thero. Fair enough. But Saturday is not the day you're going to attend Nibbana. <coughs> Saturday may be where you get the inspiration. That may be the day you get that, in, that inspiration, that spark. I see. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. I get it now. That's where I need to be going. That's where I need to set the bearings of my life. That's how I need to set the sail. That might be Saturday. Hmm? I'm trying to explain to you why Saturday Nibbana people are a very long way away from Nibbana. Then you have motivation. A talk can be very motivating. You know, you can do it, folks. You can really do it. Come on, you can do it. I know you can do it. You can absolutely nail this. Right, let's get up on our feet and let's get going. And I'm going to be here for you. Very motivating, isn't it? People will get up on their feet. They will. Because when, you, when they hear that they want to do it, they want to do it. Doesn't mean they're gonna do it. <laughs> so on Saturday you get that motivation. When I tell you how short life is and your purpose here, and how you need to be a blessing to everyone around you, and that you need to change, and then when you change, everything else will change for you. And that life can be better for you. It doesn't have to always be like this. You don't always have to suffer. You don't have to be in the agony, in the pain, in the, in the grief. You don't have to suffer all this. You can make that difference. You can make that change in your lives. You feel motivated. I, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I want a piece of that for myself. So you feel motivated. You get that on Saturday. So we can give you a motivational speech. We can give you an inspirational speech and we can give you a motivational speech. So now you have seen the destination and you are on your feet. You want to go. Want to go is not the same as gonna go. This is not me telling anyone off. Absolutely not. What I'm trying to help you is find out where are those screws that are that you need to tighten a little bit more, just a tad bit more. You do need the inspiration. Absolutely. If you don't know the inspiration, where are you going to go? 
It's not sufficient to have just motivation. Because someone who has no direction, they're just going to be running around like headless chicken. And if you've seen any one of them, you know, they don't get very far. So you do need inspiration, you do need motivation. And then you also need something else, you need determination. Because as you start to make those first few steps, you know, that rosy path, the first day you come here, the second day, the third day, that first week, maybe that first couple of months, pushing it. Everything's so nice, so lovely. People treat you very nice, very, very well. Then you get a front seat. Hmm? But that doesn't happen every day. Because when you become a regular, when you become a familiar face, what's the best example of this? Most of you have been in one of these. It's called a marriage. When your face becomes a familiar face, when the newness gets going, right? then you need determination. Mothers, fathers, husbands and wives in the house, you know how much determination you need to keep it all together. It's like herding cats sometimes, isn't it? So you do need determination. And if you are sufficiently inspired and sufficiently motivated, determination will come to you in sparks, but it really is a, it's a virtue. It's a virtue. And I'll tell you how determination develops. Never be the person who shies away when the times are tough. If you are that kind of person, you will never get to your destination. You started going, you know where you want to go, you are up on your feet and you started going, and then things get rough. You hit a rough patch. It seemed like you were going on level ground, but all of a sudden it's like you're on an elevation. And it feels like you need to put in, you, 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 you need to have to put in more energy to keep going. Same time, less distance covered. Feels like you're not going nowhere. Feels like it's the same energy, but I'm, I'm feeling exhausted. Those are the times where you need determination. In fact, it's those times that help you develop your determination. So if you shy away in these moments, you will never get to your destination. Because determination is a vital ingredient. Just as much as inspiration, just as much as motivation, determination is very important. So see how much of that you have. See what you're lacking. See what you're missing. Tighten those screws. And if there's no screw at all, then go and get one. These are the screwdrivers that will help you tighten those screws, but you need to get the screw. And then we come to the all-important, the one thing very few people have in this world. Very, very, very few people have in this world. And that is the big D. 
What's the big D? Discipline. Very few people have it. And then they blame on the lecturers. They blame the lecturers. They blame the doctors. They blame the lawyers. They blame the teachers. They blame the, they, they, they blame the teaching. And they say, see, it doesn't work. The teachers are not right. You know, they don't understand the problems that I have. They don't know what it feels like to be me. They should try getting themselves into my shoes once in a while. Then they'll understand all the problems that I have. What are you hearing when they say that? I'll tell you what I hear. The big E's. They call excuses. When you don't have discipline, there's one thing you do have. Excuses. Because you don't like it that you can't get to where you want to go because you feel, you feel inspired, you feel motivated, you want to get there. You want to get there, but doesn't mean you're going to get there. Discipline's missing. Now you want to get there, but you can't get there, so you need, to, you need a good story, don't you? Everyone wants a, <laughs> wants a good story. I mean, what's, what's a man without a good story? Hmm? You meet a guy on the street, you ask him, hey, who are you? So and so, what's your life like? Mm, don't have one. I don't know. What's your story? Where are you from? Don't know. That conversation is not going to last very long. You can't even have chit-chat with someone who doesn't have a good story. So everyone needs a good story. You, uh, you have one of two things. Either you have good discipline or you have a good story. <laughs> You know, the other day I was thinking about this, right? When God created man, he made two types of them. One, intelligent, wise, hardworking, resilient, determined, inspired, motivated, and disciplined. These are the people who will work their socks off, they'll work day and night, to get to where they want to go. And then he made another kind of person, another kind of man, almost a different species, but they all look the same, so you can't tell. So these guys are the Homo erectus, these are the Homo idiotus. They complain. They say the teaching's wrong. They say the teachers are wrong. They say it's not possible. They say you can't do this. How can you expect me to do this? When I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I've got all these things I need to do. I've got a family to feed. So many things I have to do. I'm sick. I'm tired. I'm old. I can't do all this. I'm too old for that. They say that. I'm too important to be doing these things. I should be sat up here, not down there. I'm too important for that. They, so God created this, this species, you know, for what? For the entertainment of the other species. So he made the doers and he made the jokers. So the, Jew, the doers 
could look at the jokers and have a good laugh as they go on their journey to their destination. Question remains, which one are you? Take a moment, each and every one of you, to ask yourselves, which one are you? Are you a doer or are you a joker? This is what people lack, discipline. Life is not cruel. Life is not unkind. You know what life is? It is what you want it to be. It is how you see it. If you are someone who wants to change, right, you need circumstances to come your way so that you're inspired to change. You're motivated to change. You have a reason to change. Why do you need to change if there is nothing that needs you to change? So for someone who wants to change, all the obstacles that life throws at you, all the challenges that life brings in front of you, these are all blessings. So I don't think that life is, un is, is cruel or unkind. I think life helps you. If you want to see it that way. A teacher's admonition is medicine for the soul. A mother and a father telling you off when you've done something mischievous or naughty or something you shouldn't have done is medicine for the soul. I can't use the word chicken soup. It's taken. Only if you see it that way. But if you're someone who doesn't want to change, if you're someone who just wants it easy, what is easy after all? You know what easy is? Let me give you a simple definition of easy. When you don't want to change, that's what easy is. See, we can rewrite the dictionary. <laughs> someone asks you, what is easy? I'll give you a simple answer. When I don't want to change. <laughs> Yes or no? That's what easy is. So what is tough? What's hard? Hmm? When you want to change. You know. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. But for that, the going has to get tough first. Because what happens for, the, for that man who wants to change? They'll embrace the opportunity, that tough, that tough opportunity, and then they'll realize, I have to change. It's, it's tough. This is tough. Now, remember the first time they asked you to work some math in math class? They asked you to work two numbers, add them up. Someone asked you, what is two plus two? <gasps> oh, my God. I only just learned the number one. <laughs> Wasn't that, didn't that day happen in your life? Hmm? But today you'll work those numbers blindfolded. Now front to back and back to front, left to right. But there was a day 
when the going got tough. But that day you had no choice because you had your parents around you, you had your teachers around you, do it. You're not going to get up until you've worked through those sums or detention. No TV until you change. This is what we need to be grateful to our parents for. They said, either you change or you change. You can choose. <laughs> In my life, I had full of, I was full of choices. <laughs> Either you change or you change. That's what Guru Tero tells us. But I know what he doesn't tell me the, in those words, but he said that is what he says. Either you change or you change. <laughs> You know, when that alarm goes off in the morning, whatever time you set yours, right? You know why they have that snooze button? For people who don't want to change. Take a, you know, a, a typical Joe's alarm clock, right? Just the average man, take their alarm clock. And you know, because on these devices, they have the words printed on them, right? The hours button, the minutes button, and they have the alarm button. Then they have the there's another button, but there's nothing written on it. You know why? When they brought it from the shop, it had it printed on there, but it was pressed far too many times than any of the other buttons. <laughs> so if you see a clock, and there's this Suspicious button. Every other button has a label. This one doesn't. That will tell you a lot about the person who owns it. He's someone who doesn't want to change. So they'll tell you, he'll tell you, it's tough waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, but I have to set it to 4 because that's what I have to do. But thank God for the snooze button. Don't be a snooze button kind of guy. It's not going to get you very far. It'll get you wherever you want to get to, but 15 minutes late. Huh? It'll get you where you want to get to, but... 15 minutes late. Why 15 minutes late? Ah, oh, yeah, that's how the snooze button works. But remember, time and tide wait for no man. Neither of them were invented for a world with a snooze button. This world is full of lazy people. Because people don't have the discipline and people don't have the determination. You know, that's when it's tough. Embrace tough times. You know, in, as you live life, folks, you know, embrace these tough times. You know, these are blessings, these are the opportunities, these are the moments that will help change you, mold you into someone bigger, better and shinier. Let them come to you. 
I mean, what's a life if all you've done is lived and nothing, nothing else? What are you going to talk to about? Talk about your children. This is not to the Anagarikas and Anagarikas, okay? To your children. Not, not talking about children there. But to the parents, or to be parents, right? what are you going to tell your children one day? <laughs> I was born, then I studied, then I met your mother, then I got married, then I got myself a job, then we had a house, we had you, and we are here. What has he got to learn from you? Not much. But for someone who's lived a very a life full of obstacles, a life full of challenges, a life full of reasons to change, you know, you've got a you've got a damn good story to tell. Not that kind of story, not the excuse kind of story. You know, you have a saga that you can tell someone about. That is what's important. So, but this is not to tell anybody a story. You know, this is so that you can get something out of life. So, why do most people in this world complain and moan and tell other people off and blame the teachers and the lecturers and the talks and the sermons? It's because they don't have these things. They don't have the determination and they don't have the most important part that is discipline. Now, I want you to ask yourselves, which of these components do you miss? Do you lack? Are you short on? Is it inspiration? Come here on a Saturday and I'll give you some. If it's motivation, I can give you some of that as well. If it's determination, I'm afraid there's very little I can do. And if it's discipline, there's nothing I can do. In a hundred years, you'll be exactly where you are. But you'll be inspired, you'll be motivated. If you don't have discipline and if you don't have determination, hundred years from today, you'll be where you are. That is why the Buddha says, one day lived with discipline is far better than a hundred years lived without. So do not look for stuff to help you change the outside world. You're not going to find it. Because out there, it is their business to find out your wants and needs. If any of you have ever been in business, right, that is what you do with your customers. Yeah, it, it's an important part of good business to go and find out what customers want. Yeah? Not to tell customers what, how they should change. Now imagine you're doing a restaurant or a, you know, maybe, yeah, perhaps you're doing a restaurant. A customer comes and complains, there's a hair. In my samosa. Hmm? And if the answer you had in return, oh, I'm so sorry, sir, I, don't re I, I realized that you didn't pay for that, did you? So I'll, ha I'll take it back. <laughs> the waiter got the order wrong. <laughs> what do you have to say? 
I'm so sorry. You're not here to change. Let us change for you. So it's good business to find out what your customers want and change yourselves to what they need. But in this place, we're not like that. Right when you take the first step inside, there's a board out there saying, only exclusively for aspirants of Nibbana, meaning we ain't going to change. When you take that first step in, we tell you, we are not going to change. The teaching isn't going to change. The destination isn't going to change. The teachers aren't going to change. So that leaves, leaves you with, hmm, I wonder who has to change then. <laughs> hmm? Is it not obvious? When I'm telling you the teachers are not going to change, the destination is not going to change, the path isn't going to change, the four noble truths are not going to change, what's, is it not obvious what needs to change? Absolutely. And only those who are brave enough and are daring enough and prepared and willing, courageous to change need walk in through those gates. Others really don't have a place here. They will not enjoy their time here. That much I can tell you. They will not enjoy their time here. The fact that you are still here after so many years, the fact that you are still here after so many of Guru Thero's sermons, and you know what they're like, <laughs> means you're the right caliber of people that we want here. Now, there are people who join us online and they've been on these sermons for a long time. They don't have the privilege and the, the luxury of coming here, but they join us online. You know, they don't even have what you have. They don't get to see the, the Swami Nahase face to face. They don't get to question, you know, opportunity to ask a question or even give an answer when asked a question. So, you know, they may be at home giving all sorts of answers, but there's no one there to check whether the answers are right or wrong. They don't have the group discussions, unlike you do. But they're still there. They're still hanging in there. Because they realize they have to change and they're willing to. Now this is the stuff that I want to make myself out of. This is the stuff that I want me to be. An agent of change. I want to be an advocate of change. I want to be an ambassador of change. And I want you all to be like that as well. Be an agent of change. You know, Embrace change like it's going out of fashion. Embrace change like it's going out of business. Embrace change like if you didn't do it today, you're never going to be able to do it again. And once you have that attitude, folks, no matter what comes in your way, every obstacle that comes in your way, every stone that's on the path to your destination, you will see as an opportunity. You will welcome it into your life. And you go, wow. Today, I've got another stone to climb over, another rock, another mountain, so that I can make myself stronger. Difference in attitude. These are for people who, are, who want to change. 
See, never do I explain to you how anger comes into your mind and then you need to sort the other guy out, right? Have you ever heard me say that? No, if I ever did, then walk out of the room as soon as you possibly can. If I ever did, change the other guy. Tell them off. Walk out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here asking you to do the tough things in life. The incredibly hard things in life. They're incredibly hard because that is the, the, the non-Buddha stuff that's about you. Remember the, the stone? The, the, the stone carver? With his chisel and his hammer, he carves a statue. Guy comes and asks what? What are you doing, sir? He says, I'm carving a statue. Of whom? My teacher, the Buddha. So what are you doing with that stone, with the hammer and the chisel? I'm carving out everything that's not the Buddha. That's incredibly powerful. Meaning there's a Buddha inside all of you. Isn't that great news? You don't have to invent a Buddha, you just have to discover him. Isn't that just fantastic news? Doesn't that bring happy tears to your eyes, folks? Come on. Huh? There's a Buddha inside all of you. All you have to do is discover the Buddha, not invent the Buddha. If you had to invent the Buddha, then you'd have to go and find out what Buddhas are made of. See? You'd have to go and find the ingredients that make a Buddha. But now you don't have to. Because the Buddha is already made, ready-made. You are a ready-made Buddha. It's just the taints, the defilements that lay on top. You just need to keep on digging. And those, this is tough. It's not easy, it's tough. But that's what we're here to do. Because every time you move some of that non-Buddha stuff away, you chisel some of that away, it'll hurt. It'll be difficult. It'll be tough. But when that tough gets going, realize that the going will get tough. Sorry, when the going gets tough, the tough will get going. And eventually, when all the toughness has gone, now you can stop and take a good look at yourself. But at that point, there will be no self to look at. Then you will know my job is done. If you are all agents of change, you will all get there. But remember, that was a motivational speech. That was not a disciplinary speech. I can't give you one of those. I can give you a disciplinary, but I can't give you a speech that's going to build within you, that's going to mold within you the discipline that you need to have. And the reason I say when, the, when, you, know, when you get those tough times, not to walk away from them is because those are the times that will help you build the determination that you need to keep you going on that, on that path. This is virya. You need it. It's one of the five forces 
that'll get you to Nibbana. It's one of the five faculties that'll get you to Nibbana. It appears everywhere in the Buddha's teaching. In the Noble Eightfold Path, it appears as right effort. It's not easy, is it, when there is something you want to not go after that and to sit back and reflect on it? Something mouth-watering laid on a plate right in front of you. The easy thing to do is to go for it. The tough thing to do is what? Look away and walk away? No. Look at it and contemplate. That's tough. Look at it and contemplate. Not look away and walk away. That's also, I mean, that, come on. That's for losers. Oh, don't show me that cake. No cake. Oh, no, not the cake, please. No, not the cake. Please, not the cake. Please, not the cake. <laughs> Careful, you'll be born in a world where there's no cake. <laughs> no, you see, the, the thing with no cake, no cake, no cake, no cake is you're always thinking about cake. You know, so <laughs> that is not, that is not, uh, in my humble opinion, you know, that is not a way to deliverance. Turning your face away, turning your eyes away, looking away from all the things you like or not having what you, what you like, you know, that's, that's not the, the teachings of the Buddha. What you need to do is look at it right in the face, stare at it, but contemplate. Because at the beginning, contemplation is going to be tough. Like when you first got on that bicycle, it was tough. But you didn't give up. Today you can ride without holding the handles. You got there because every time it got tough, you got tougher. One or the other has to win. The tougher one wins. So when tough times come into your life, it's just tough because you aren't tough enough. So toughen up. Toughen up. Not seven up. Toughen up. Even in the face of a seven up. And come here and get all the help you need to do that. You know, bring those problems that you have and speak to your, your teachers when, when you're here. When you have those discussions, when you have those small group meetings, you know, bring them here and, and ask them. So I mean, I say, how do I, how do I overcome this? You know, when I see that there, it's just so difficult. I, cannot, I can do one of two things. I can either go for it or go away from it. But I realize that that's not the answer now. I need to be able to look at it in the eye and go, no, I'm going to toughen up. How do I do that? There's no point going into the delicatessen and asking them how to do that. Because they have done every research, every bit of research to tempt you. That's why they call it temptations. That they've done every bit of tempta temp research to tempt you, to lure you, and to seduce you. To fall prey for it. In my words, I call it exploitation. But that's not that that's not that's not a that's not a strike against them. It's a, in fact a strike against you. 
Why do you allow someone to exploit you? You know, exploitation is a choice. Would you believe it? Do you know that no one can make you angry without your permission? Hmm? Do you know that? No one can make you sad without your permission? So don't be asking who let the dogs out. Well, you let the cage open. So don't be Saturday Nibbana kind of people. I know you're not. Just reminding, it's a friendly reminder. Because that's not the day where you practice your discipline and your determination. Here, I'll give you inspiration. You get motivation, right? But those are the two things. Determination and discipline. That you're not going to get from here. You will learn the, the method you will learn the philosophy. You will learn the techniques. But the application of those techniques is discipline. Keeping on at it. When everyone around you says, nah, enough. Let's just go for it. Or let's just walk away. Hmm? When your friends say, when you're, when you're in the midst of your peers, peer pressure, been there? Hmm? When your peers go, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Come on, come on, man, let's do it. Come on, let's do it. I'm here for you. <laughs> hmm? When you're among friends, school, workplace, maybe family. It's not because they're bad people. It's only because they haven't been rightly inspired. Their inspiration is, it's there. That's going to give us happiness. You know, one of the best things, one of the most important things that we learned on our tour, our recent tour, was that we tried to give people the wrong thing initially. <laughs> we got a bunch of people into a room and we told them, we're going to make you happy. And they said, but we are. We're already happy. We realize we were wrong. Because we are always changing. They don't want to change. So now we have to change. Hmm? You, get, you get a bunch of people into a room. You just ask them to come from their hotel rooms. You've just asked them to come, right, from their trip to Dubai. You've just asked them to come from the, from the Delhi, not Delhi, from the Delhi. You've just asked them to come from the park. You've just asked them to come from watching the, the footy, right? And they've now all come together in one room. You know, their happiness is out there. They feel like they're being punished right now because they have had to commit time from their weekend to be here. You know the things that we have to do to get people to come on a weekend? I don't mean you. No. Typically, to get people to come on their weekend is just so tough because, you know, the reason is they'll say, 
is it worth it that I have to sacrifice my Saturdays? Meaning, Saturday is the day that I am happy. So for you to ask me to come to you, sacrificing my happiness, is that a reasonable ask? So you get them into a room and, they, and then you say, right, you know, we're going to make you happy. And they're like, what? We were happy right where we were? You ask us to come here to make us happy? One of the key lessons we learned on our trip. Don't try and give people something they already have. <laughs> we should have take a, taken a business lesson before going out there. Because we tried to sell slippers to people wearing shoes. They're, because they, all, they think they know what happiness is. That's the thing. And they say, they look at me. They go, this guy doesn't have even a proper shirt <laughs> or a pair of trousers. He's in a rag. He's trying to teach me how to be happy. So, if they have the discipline to sit down and listen to what I have to say for a little while, then they begin to understand. But hanging in there for that time, you know, people are not ready for that. This is because happiness is instant. You can expect them to come there, sit down for five minutes, and, and then see if this is what's going to give them that spark, make them happy, right? But after that five minutes, they're no longer interested because in their world, happiness comes in five minutes or under. Get yourself a packet of Maggi noodles. What does it say? Two minutes or less. So why wait for five? If I, if I were to make a new type of noodle, right, and pack it up, and on there I said, takes you 15 minutes, who's going to buy that stuff? <laughs> no one, right? right? Someone comes to you. Do you have talks? Yes, they're on YouTube. How long are they? Three and a half hours. Nah. Why do them when you have shorts? In less than one minute, you can be entertained. You can be made happy. So why listen to a three and a half hour talk? That's like trying to sell ice to Eskimos. So I'm saying, don't, don't just, you know, for even, even in your, don't think there's even a snowball's chance in hell that you can expect people out there to help you on this journey. This is very rare. We've never done this before. Right? This is a frontier. We've never stepped in this direction before. It's, it's, it, this is the new frontier. This is what Star Trek should have been about. The journey to Nibbana, the final frontier. But people out there don't know this, so you can't expect them to help you in this space. What they will do, though, is constantly tug at you in the opposite direction. So after a while, to them you'll seem alien, if you're not careful. You'll seem alien to them. That's why, you know, we're very careful with our Anagarika Mahatmyas. Right? We, we, we try and do as, very, as little as possible to 
get them to appear to the outside world as a different kind of species. But they are. They are very different. They are very different. You can't find a thousand women out there who are any match to one of our Anagarikas. They are very different. But if they went out there, like me, people are not ready for that. People don't want that. And they will not listen to a word that they have to say. But today they do a tremendous service. They even preach into Australia. They're preaching to almost 10 countries in the world today through our Siumaga International Program. And some parents, as cunning as they are, the sermons are for the kids. You know what they do? They come and sit next to them. And sometimes the child goes for a to the washroom or to get a drink of water, but not the mother. She's there. Sometimes there's no child, just the mother. <laughs> All this they're able to do because, because they don't look different. Change that and they will not be able to render the service. It's valuable service that they do. So don't be expecting anything from the outside to help you on this path. Right? But that doesn't mean you can be Saturday, Nibbana type of people. I asked to bring this, these flowers, this arrangement of flowers, because I saw this, and I'll tell you the thought that came to my mind, but before that, I'm going to give you an, a moment to reflect, reflect on it. I know it's going to be difficult to see it from where you are, but <clears throat> hopefully you can see there's, a, there's one flower here, a special kind of flower. Don't ask me what you call them. It's one of these. Idda, thank you. And the other ones? Thank you. Right, so that's different. That's there. And there's all these. As you put this floral arrangement together, there are lots of things that you could be contemplating on that you don't have to do on a Saturday. You don't have to wait for Saturday to do that. Is what I'm saying. Not this. The contemplation. This is just one thing that you have to do as you live life. But that contemplation, the way you look at it, 
the way you reflect on that and the lesson that you can take from it. If you do it just once at least, that's one step closer to your journey. But it's easier not to do. How so? What's easy to do? It's easy not to do. So it's so easy not to do. You just It's so easy to look and go, oh, so beautiful. Look at that. Very nice. That is also a possibility. But you are now different. You can't stop there. Right? You can't stop there. This is my instruction to you. This is my advice to you. This is my guidance to you. I don't want you to put together a basket of flowers and then offer it to the Buddha thinking in your mind, ah, that's a lovely arrangement of flowers. I'm sure he'll like it. He might like the flowers, but he's not going to like you. See, lots of things, lots of ways in which you could contemplate on this. Take a moment to think about what comes to your mind. It'll be different. It'll, it'll, it'll be and it can be. It's perfectly fine. For each and every one of you, it can be different. But think about what you can reflect on as you see this. Because, you know, that's what I'm saying. You will see all sorts of things around you as the leaf falls from the tree. Hmm? You can reflect on it. These flowers, they smell sweet, but that's not what this is for. It's so easy to pick up one of these and inhale and go, oh, that's very fragrant, but that's not what this is for. That's what, that's what it's there outside for. As I said, don't look for help to guide you to Nibbana unless you want to change. If you want to change, then it's going to help you do that. If you don't want to change, then it'll help you do that. This is very versatile. Whatever you want to do, it'll help you do. If you want the fragrance from these flowers, these flowers will give you that. If you want to reflect on Nibbana, these flowers will give you that. That is proof then that Nibbana is neither... Nibbana, no, not, not Nibbana, is out here. It's all inside. So think about it. What can you take from it? I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what I, one of the thoughts that I had. You know, we've been talking about an aggregation. Yeah, we've been talking about an aggregation. This flower right up here is very different from the rest of it. Yes. This is very different from the rest of it. So this right up here, one way you could reflect on this is see whether you see a separate entity or you see the aggregates. How everything simply comes together to manifest something. Or do you always see a fixed entity, one thing? That's one of the ways in which you could reflect on this. So I saw this and a smile came to my face. Thank you, I said.
So the one, when you reflect on it in those terms, that's one step forward. It doesn't happen on a Saturday. Today happens to be Saturday, but that journey doesn't happen on a Saturday. There are lots of other ways you could reflect on that. And perhaps, you know, you will have some of those ways, right? You smell the fragrance. If you are keen, if you are mindful, if you're mindful about this, then you got to ask yourself the question, how come it's fragrant? How does it smell nice? So the flowers keep reminding you, you've got something that is non-Buddha with you. It's a reminder. See, this is a Kalyanamitta, a good friend, reminding you, there's still a way to go. You're still further from it. Keep going, keep going. See, constantly reminding you, keep going. I like the people who come and tell you off. Because what do they tell you? Keep going. If they are, if they, if they can upset you, they can annoy you. Yeah, they can annoy you. What are they telling you? Keep going. Because the going is getting tough. Hmm? The going is getting tough. So they say, keep going. And if you do keep going, then the tough is going to get going. So this is, this is a karmastan. So, you know, did you think that karmastan only came in words? Etan santang, etan panita. This is a karmastan. And so is everything else here. You can go stand in front of a mirror, look at yourself in it and go, wow, there's so much to learn. <laughs> The other day, someone came and said, <clears throat> I'm reminded of my old days when I was in a relationship with someone, right? And thoughts of her keep flooding into my mind from time to time. So I'm in answer, what should I do? I'm reminded of her facial features. She, oh, she had lovely eyes, so I'm in answer. I said, she had what? Lovely eyes, Swami Nansen. What else did she have? She had lovely lips, Swami Nansen. You know, we're very open at the monastery. You know, we talk all sorts. But that's what it should be. You know, if, you, if they have to keep all their secrets hidden from their teachers, then how, how on earth are they going to be able to free themselves? So, you know, if you have the liberty to come and say the things that you say, imagine what, you, what they can say once they, you know, really come here and make this their, their home. And they become full-time practitioners. Hmm? So that's where all the, the revelations happen, all the confessions happen. And, you know, they clean themselves entirely by throwing it all out. So, lovely I saw me answer. I said... Did you take a moment to think why she had eyes? Did you take a moment to think about why she has eyes? 
What do you mean? He asked. So I said, what are eyes for? Eyes are there so you can get places and not bump into things. Eyes are there so before you put your hand into something, you can, you can check whether it's safe or not. Whether, before you walk somewhere, you can check whether it's safe or not. Yeah? Before you do something, you can check whether it's safe or not. These are simply your, uh, what do you call them, uh, receptors right? to, to warn you of imminent danger. That's what the, the eyes are for. So what does that tell you about someone who has eyes? They're in constant danger. Hmm? So someone who has eyes is someone who is in constant danger. What else? These are things that you placed an order for. In fact, it wasn't these you placed the order for. You place the order for what comes through these. But this is what you got. You didn't ask for eyes. You asked for sight. They gave you eyes. It's a poor deal, really. A terrible deal. This is fraud, if you ask me. You asked for sight, they gave you eyes. Now who has to maintain them? Who has to keep them safe? Who has to keep blinking? Who has to put the eye drops? Who has to wear the spectacles? Who has to go to the, the doctor? All of that, this person has to do. Right? And the fact that you have the eyes means th these are simply receptors that are planted there to keep this person safe. So what does that tell you about the person? Always in danger. Always in danger. Now tell me, Uta, what do you feel about her? Do you feel the same that you did? The same way you did before, I, before we had this conversation? What do you really feel about her now? I fear. And he said, I pity her, Swami Nansa. I pity her. I feel sorry for her. I feel sorry that she has eyes. I feel sorry that she's had to have eyes. So how then can you look at something that someone has purely to keep themselves safe? Right? And think of it as something that is luring, something that is beautiful, something that is wonderful. It's just there to keep them safe. How can, how can you look at that and go, that's, that's, that's wonderful, that's amazing, that's beautiful, that's pretty. They're there because without them, you'd be in a terrible state. Now think the same about the ears. These are your shields to keep you safe in a war zone. That's what these things are. The world here is a war zone. This, the sensual world is a war zone. You don't know what you're going to bump into next. You don't know what's going to drop on your head. You don't know where you're going to fall, what you're going to bang into. These faculties are simply there to keep you safe. Meaning you're always in danger. So how can you look at someone who's always in danger you know, that's like walking up to a, 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 you know, a, a patient, a fatal patient, maybe in a cancer hospital and, and saying, you know, I'd like to marry you. They need your, your help. They need your support. They need your empathy. <laughs> the other example I told them was, imagine 
if a woman who just got raped came running into a police station to file a complaint, you know, looking for help, help, you know, I've, this has just happened to me. Imagine if the police officer there saw this woman, woman and realized the plight that she was in and how helpless she was and asked her to come indoors and say, get the, shut the door, I'll look after you. And he looks after her. If that were to happen, what would you say about that man? He's an animal, right? He's an animal. Now, what are you saying about this girl? She has eyes, ears, a nose, tongue, body, you know, these things to keep this, this body safe. Because she's, in, she's always in constant danger, constant fear, huh? in, a, in a terrible state, doesn't know what's going to happen next. From the fire, from the, from the wind, from the, from the rain, right? from animals, from predators, from all sorts of threats. Always watching out what's going to happen. Now you sit here and you think, wow, I like that. What would you call yourself then, Putai asked him. That was the next question. <laughs> that was the next question. So if that's how you feel about her, what do you feel about you now, yourself? What do you feel about yourself? Now that is why you need to be here and ask me a different question. You need help. So how can you look somewhere, look at someone, uh, and, and look at her hand. You know, think about it, folks. You know, look at someone's hand and go, wow, nice fingers. Mm, I love those fingernails. Mm, oh, those French tips are just so gorgeous. Just think for a second why they have nails. Yeah. It's to scratch yourself with when you have an itch. Wherever. That's what they are for. It's so you can claw at something, grab something. That's what they are for. When you have a rash, so you can scratch yourself a little bit for, for some relief. That's what they are for. You look at that and you go, oh, I love those fingernails. I mean, you know, just come to your senses. When you, when you go cuckoo, come to your senses. Right? And think about why this person has these things in the first place. You look at someone's hair and go, oh, gorgeous hair, I love that hair, jet black hair. Gorgeous hair, shiny hair. Think about why she has hair in the first place. It's to keep this safe. That's what it's there for, because the sun's too hot. This is just a cap. That's what it's there for. When you, when you touch the skin and say, oh, that's so, so, so smooth. She's got smooth skin. Think about what it's there for. It's a bandage that keeps a wound safe from the flies. Is this not a bandage? And once in a while, it starts oozing as well. If you're out in the sun a little while, it starts oozing. So when you think of it as a bandage 
to cover a wound. This is a wound dressing. Right? How, how then can you look at it and go, Pancha Kalyani. <laughs> this is what happens when you completely misinterpret the world. This, this, this body, you know, we brought it to suffer. That is the truth. Before you became humans, right? Before you dropped down, you stooped to this level. Before you stooped to human level, <clears throat> you didn't walk around on two feet. You were free to roam. In fact, there was a time when you were simply an energy, and at least you were simply a mind. You didn't need to eat, you didn't need to sleep, you didn't need to wash or go to the washroom. You didn't need to trim your fingernails. You didn't need to cut your hair. You didn't need to brush your teeth. You didn't need to cook. You didn't need to do any of these things. You didn't even need to wear a mask. <coughs> but look at what, what people have. Well, you know, what has happened to people now? No. So when you see someone, right, who has to walk on two legs, do you think it's, it's, it's intelligent to look at those legs and go, wow, nice legs? Just think about why they have to, what, you know, what has happened to them? You're looking at someone in a pitiful state, in a plightful state and going, and you're, you're saying that's nice. That's not what you need to be doing. First, you, you have pity on the person and the next, you have pity on yourself. I'm the same. That's what you need to do. These bodies are, you know, they're, they're not temples. This is not a gift. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's a curse. It's a ticking time bomb, you know that. <clears throat> but then, you know, but, but think about it, you know, when, when people don't, when people don't understand the world as it really is, you know, then they go in front of a mirror. <coughs> Excuse me. Walk in front of a mirror, right? And the mascara goes on, the lipstick goes on, the eyeliners go on, the lip liners go on, right? The foundations go on. And, you know, this becomes like a thorana. But think about what this is for. The fact that you have eyes is not something to be proud of. The fact that you have ears is not something to be proud of. The fact that you have lips is not something to be proud of. The fact that you have teeth is not something to be proud of. These are all things to be ashamed of. <clears throat> Look what you've done to yourselves. You are not like this. You didn't have to eat to sustain yourselves. But look at what's happened to you today. This is the truth. This is how people need to understand the world, at least, you know, until, until they begin to understand the Dhamma. Right? Until then. <clears throat> at least until you begin to understand the Dhamma. Because this is a very two-dimensional description. I'm not talking about Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta. 
But at least until you get that, get into that insightful reflection, you know, it'll 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 calm you down a little bit. It'll tame you down a little bit. <clears throat> Give you a you know a, a moment to 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 you know to get some stability. And to, and to you know give you a, a breath of fresh air, you know, relax, right? You're on heat, steady. Look what's happening. See what you're 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 you're, you're co- contemplating on. Look at what you're tempted by. These are not things to be tempted by. These are things to for you to reflect on, you know, and to and to to fall out with, to be disappointed by, not tempted by. So, again, I emphasize the point, don't look for any help or support on your journey in Nibbana from out there. Because as the good lady just reminded, you know, you'll have to pay thousands to do all this up, right? They exploit your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your handicap. Look at yourself in the mirror and you'll see your handicap. Your eyes are your handicap. Yes or no? This straight nose that you have in the middle of your face, that's your handicap. So don't look at someone and go, lovely nose she got. I I, I don't understand how, I mean, I do understand. I do, I, I, I do understand. I, I do understand because you know, I have been as insane as all of them, right? So I do understand how someone can get, you know, a bunch of girls to get into their bikinis and go on a stage and then show, flaunt it all and show it all off, you know, and 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 get, you know, chosen as the person of the year. What are they flaunting? Their handicaps. Again, simply, you know, these are all points for you to reflect on, right? I know there's no changing them. That will always happen. And, you know, perhaps it is the way the world is and maybe that is how it should happen. That's why I'm saying that right at the start, right, this, this entire world is built around the self, sustaining the self, preserving the self, satisfying the self, trying to fulfill the self. It's a self-centric world that we live in. So people are so precious about the self. Why do people commit unmeritorious deeds? You have simple answers to these questions now. Because when there is a self, the self has to be preserved at any cost. At any cost. Would you not do anything to protect and protect and preserve that which is most precious to you? There is one thing that is more precious to you than your most beloved child. <clears throat> There is one thing that is more precious to you than the most precious gems and rubies and diamonds in this world. Something more precious to you than anything. And that is that self. Yeah. That is the pity, isn't it? This perception that you have, that you are an identity, a unique individual, that you are a self. Uh, You know, if, if that was real then at least we would have been able to say, you know, that was all worth it. But the this is just vanity. This is just vanity. This is all in vain. 
Because after all, you're trying to preserve something that doesn't even exist. That's why the Buddha's teaching, he goes, Atthiyati, Harayati and Jiguchati. <clears throat> there is nothing of substance here. And all the effort that goes into it, there's nothing of substance, nothing of use, nothing of essence, essenceless. Now you understand why they say it's essenceless. There is no essence in this. There's no substance in this. It's simply the shell on the outside, like the husk of a grain. No substance, no seed. There's no seed inside. So you can boil it all you like. You can try and cook it. In the end, it was just the husk. There's no grain in there. So you're not going to be able to eat anything. In the same way, right? whatever effort you put into sustaining this perception of a self, whatever energy you put into that, all the unmeritorious deeds which are far easier to commit than the meritorious deeds, right? all those things that are done are essenceless, useless, meaningless, futile. They're not going to make you happier. They're not going to get you anywhere. They're not going to be any rewarding. Nothing. Because after all, you're simply trying to keep happy a perception of self, not a real self. But people out there, they don't know that. Absolutely. You know, all those minds out there, they, you know, imagine, you know, it's like... It's 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 an asylum out there, a mental asylum. This is not this is not me offending people. I'm just saying this is what it is. It is what it is. You know, a mind that is ailing, walking on two feet, thinking that there's a self that has to be protected, preserved, and sustained, and therefore everything and anything that they do is for that. Yeah. <laughs> because to the madman <laughs> because to the madman everyone else is mad isn't it to the madman everyone else is mad and, and that is why yeah that is why they blame and that is why we always urge you to be careful when you're out there you know try and mix do what you need to do to mix and mingle with them but knowing that you are not one of them be with them but don't be one of them you're going to have to be with them. If you're out there, you're going to have to be with them. But don't be one of them. Don't be like them. What can we do? They don't know. Because they don't, they don't have the merits to, 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 to listen to this. To realize what's going on with them. And, you know, this is, now you need to understand, now you, I, th I think you'll begin to understand why when someone comes to pick a bone with you, fight with you, shout at you, you no longer, you know, it is not right that you feel anger and resentment towards them. Is it? Is it right that you feel that way? Anger and resentment towards them? No. See, when now when you start to see people's weaknesses, because they're not people's weaknesses, they're mental weaknesses. Minds are weak. Right? When you start to see minds weak, you're, you feel that no longer can you be angry towards them, right? 
or have hatred towards them or, or you know, or, or retaliate, you begin to understand the only treatment I have towards them is metta, karuna, mudita, and upeksha. See, the four brahmika boards are your, it becomes your, your mode of action once the Dhamma settles into your mind. Absolutely, yeah. Because Anaryan brahmika boards and Aryan brahmika boards are very different. A mother's love for her child is not the same as an Arahant's love for all children in this world. Children of all sizes and of all ages is no match because it's not the same thing. Same words, but different entirely. Nothing could be more dissimilar. So my quest, right, my effort here is to help you all achieve that, right? To become someone who can, who can be compassionate to the world, not because it's a nice to do, I don't want that. You know, it's nice to be compassionate, isn't it? It's nice to be to be to be kind to people. No, <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm here for. My 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 quest is to try and instill this dhamma within your mind, so that you begin to realize that they are you know they are not trying to fight with you because they are they're angry with you or they they have any problem or issue with you. They have a problem with themselves, folks. That's what they have. They have a problem with themselves. Just think about feelings like jealousy. How sorry must you feel for a mind that feels jealous? You know, a jealous mind is a mind that feels that someone else has something that is of value to me. Therefore, I wish I had it and not them. This is Abhidya. One of the grave unmeritorious deeds. Absolutely, yeah. And they expect it from you, right? You expect that you have to want the same things that they want. You know, when you're in, when you're in relationships, when you're you know, in, a, in your family, people will want you to want the things that they want. You know, you need to understand why they're like that. Because when both people are pulling the same direction, you know, it's going to help them get them where they want to be. Quicker, sooner, faster, and easier. Again, not with resentment, but look at it out of deep and absolute sympathy. Understanding. That understanding is the understanding that I'm trying to help you get to. You know, become a fountain of compassion and loving kindness, but with proper understanding. Do it insightfully. So it is not a case of, you know, getting them, sitting on your lap and patting their head and going, oh, nice, nice child, good one, nice, nice Buddha. That is not what this is about. Because doing that is of no help. When people, you know, when people live in this, in this labyrinth that, that they have created for themselves, right, and, and, and they're lost in it, it's a mire. They're lost in it. They don't know where right side is, where the left side is, where up or down is. They're just completely lost and absorbed in it, right? The only thing you can do is to help them somehow come out of it. That is the only thing that is worth doing. Everything else is simply atiyati, harayati, and jiguchati. But they don't get it immediately. It's going to take them a time, and your patience will help them with that. So don't expect that people will come to the same understanding that you are in, just like that. 
your merits have helped you come this far in this short period of time but perhaps for them it's going to take a lot longer and then in that time they'll expect you to be like them they'll want you to talk with to them like they talk to you they'll want you to want to go to the restaurant they'll not just want you to go to the restaurant they'll want you to want to go to the restaurant one day they want you to want to go with them so it's not enough just for you to go with them hmm? i want you to want what i want <laughs> so they don't just want they want you to want can you see how much they're lost in this wanting business because what there's one thing that they know if you want what they want right then they can relax a little bit because you will keep on doing it these these are the these are the you know really intricate pro- situations and problems that you will find yourselves but again right like i said right at the beginning you know embrace them these are opportunities for you to practice your metta these are the opportunities for you to practice your karuna and your mudita and your upeksha if that is the time for it these are those opportunities madam so right <clears throat> so if you were asked to come on a trip with someone right and the alternative was hmm, okay and the alternative was you coming here right and that they're going to be upset now these are not definitive answers because you know each one's circumstances are different right so it's it's very difficult to answer a question like that without fully looking at all sides but i, I i'll give you some general advice and don't say swami nanse said so so i did so right I, I know, I know. <clears throat> you know when the buddha passed away it is said that the earth rumbled it's not doing that now is it it stopped that was when the buddha passed away the biggest loss that this universe has ever seen in recent times right so now <laughs> I'm speaking on behalf of Nibbana because I always speak on behalf of Nibbana. Right? That is my camp. Okay? You know, when people ask you to choose between two worldly things, right? It's a very different request to when people ask you to choose between one that is worldly and then one that is geared towards Nibbana. I would always choose Nibbana. because it is only when i am safe can i help someone be safe they don't know that yet when your little child asked you for your permission to watch tv and play sports and be with their friends and not do their homework what did you do as a mother or a father when you knew that it was time for them to go and do their homework or time to go to bed because they had to wake up and go to school the following morning right you got them to do what they had to do when they upset hmm when they angry when they disappointed but were they like that forever 
No. Because you realize that they don't know something that you do. So you had to make a tough decision on their behalf as well as yours. But they don't know that yet. One day they might, whether they do or not, it is the right decision. So, I always side with Nibbana. Sometimes I'm very tactful how I side with Nibbana. I just, I'll give you a very, very quick example. I was talking about this to our Swami Nuhan says yesterday, uh, yesterday or the day before. On one occasion, uh, a family came and they wanted to, so that the boy had left home without the parents' permission and he'd come here because he wanted to, he wanted to ordain. But a few weeks later, the parents came, right? Which, of course, we, if they don't come, we ask them to come. Uh, and then the parents want to, you know, they, they had lots of complaints about this boy. Apparently he was very rowdy, big-mouthed, foul-mouthed, lots of complaints, right? And he doesn't listen to the parents, not obedient, and just what he wants to do. And even at home, he was a troublemaker. So the, this young man, he comes to me and says, my parents have come, help me. <laughs> right? So I said, okay, what's the issue? They don't like you to be here? No. Not at all. Why? Why don't they like you to be here? It's not really that they don't like me to be here. They just don't like the way that I am. And they, you know, they've always got something, something bad to tell me because I am, frankly, you know, I, I'm not an easy character. Right? I'm like a wild horse. So do what you can do, Swami Nas, and try and save me if you can. Right? I said, okay, so let's go and talk to them. But when I'm in their presence, I'm going to tell you off. Hmm? For being the brat that you are. Right? Now you are going to have to understand that I'm doing this to try and save you. So let's go. And so we went. So we started talking with the parents. And the parents started churning all the, you know, just one after the other, after the other, after the other, after how this boy is, you know, is not respecting the parents and being very unkind to his siblings and so on and so on. And I listened to all that and I, I asked the parents, you know, God, how did you put up with him all this time? Hmm? If I were you, I would have kicked him out far sooner than you did. Don't worry, Amma. Let me fix this child for you. Hmm? I'll sort him out. Right? Give me a few months. I'll sort him out. Right? I'll teach him how to respect his parents. I'll teach him how to, treat, how to respect his elders. Right? And to be respectful. And, and, to, and to behave in a dignified manner. Right? And leave him with me for a few months and I'll, I'll sort him out. You come and collect him afterwards. Thank you, Swami Nazi. Finally, we found someone who can fix him. <laughs> and they were ever so grateful. <laughs> See, I'm tactful. I always side with Nibbana. There's no question about that. I always side with Nibbana. But I, 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 you know, when it's required, I'm, I'm tactful. And I ask you to be the same. Be tactful. And that is not, sometimes you might even have to manipulate. I am not against manipulation, provided it's done with good intention. Manipulation is not a bad thing. Intention can be bad. Like when people say money is the root of all evil, I completely and entirely and utterly disagree. Money is not the root of all evil, because money in good hands can do a great deal of good to this world. But money in, in, the, in the wrong hands doesn't have to be a trillion. 
It can be a dollar. In the wrong hands, can cause a lot of destruction. So you can be tactful, and you know you you're gonna have to study the situation and 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 understand you know what is the best way to approach it. Sometimes you'll have to you know make short term losses for long term gains. Sometimes you might have to do that. On one occasion, and he's here in the audience. On one occasion, one parent came and wanted to take her son home because he'd only come for a week, one or two weeks. And then when the mother had come to collect the child, the child comes up to me and says, "Sainna, Sainna, so please save me. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. I said, okay, right. Will you promise me that you will work towards your Nibbana diligently? Yes, I will. And will you promise me that you will help everyone and anyone who comes to you looking for help to attain Nibbana? Yes, I will. All right, let's go talk to your mother then. So we went to talk to his mother. And... You know, we had a pretty lengthy conversation, and then in the end, I said, "Yes, mother. You know, I think it's right that you should take him home." So, I talked to the child and said, "When you go home, this is how you should behave, because this child he wants to come here, be here, and you know, he's very keen on attaining his salvation so much that sometimes when you know his parents or his other relations might, you know, stand against that. You know, sometimes he can get a bit uh, loudmouthed, right? And he will, he will, he will, he'll fight back, right? So I said, that's not what you need to be doing now. Once you go back home, right, sing all the praises that you can about all the people that you have at home. How good your granny is, how good your grandpa is, how good your mother is, how good your father is, and how they're the best people in the whole wide world. And then they'll wonder, where did you learn all this from? You weren't like this two weeks ago. How come you're like this now? What happened to you? You had your head somewhere. And then you and then you say, "Puta, no." The Swami Mahan says at the monastery, they tell us how good parents are, and how good our grandparents are, and how good you know how how great they are to have brought us up in as as we are. You know how blessed we are to have 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 you in our lives. Now again, this might sound like manipulation. It is, and I put my—I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say it is manipulation. Yes, but done with pure intentions, because I know if I save this child now, I will be able to save the mother in a month's time. I'll be able to save the grandmother in two, maybe two years' time. But the only path for them that I see to get the refuge of the noble triple gem is if they let this child come here. But I said, yes, you can go home now, and so the mother very happily collected her child. Went back home. Two weeks later, he's here, <laughs> and he's been here to this day. And now I see the mother also coming and listen to the sermons. And uh, I think uh, I think a month later, the grandmother also came, and now she's happy. But imagine if we, if I had kept the child, insisting, no, 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 he has to stay. You know, and I started a fight with the mother. What would the mother then think? She was not willing to budge at that point. Not because she didn't want to, but you know, she had other problems. Other people were, you know, twisting her arm, and they wanted to, you know, take the child back. So again, what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes we have to make short-term losses for long-term gains. So you need to be tactful in life. That's with or without the nibbana. With or without nibbana, you have to be tactful in life. Is this the first time you heard that? 
Surely not. You have to be tactful in life and even in this game you have to be tactful. But always keep your mind focused, laser sharp. There's no question about that, right? With crystal clear clarity. Nibbana and nothing else. But sometimes it's not a straight path. Sometimes you have to take a detour. But if you always ask, where are you heading? There's no question. Heading towards Nibbana. Right? Because if sometimes if, if you are willing to willing to budge, if you are willing to make a little bit of a sacrifice, sacrifice, maybe willing to make a, a, a bit of an adjustment in your approach, in your style, right? Perhaps that simple adjustment that you make, that that little bit of a sacrifice that you make, that compromise you make might do a great deal of good for all those people as well. As I say, I can't give you an, a hundred percent right answer to that question, madam. But perhaps, you know, perhaps, just perhaps, maybe, you know, if you said, okay, on this occasion, I'm going to come with you. As I'm saying, I can't give you the right, perfect answer there. On this occasion, I'm going to come with you. Maybe on the next time, they'll come here with you. Maybe on that trip, you talk to them about what you, what you have learned from here. I don't know whether this is feasible or not. I'm just saying. These are a lots. These are the various choices that you can make. What is the right choice? Ask him. Don't ask me. I don't have the right choice. I just have choices. And which choice do we make? Here's the thing, right? Uh, some occasions you'll you'll wonder what's the right choice to make here. Hmm? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I ask him to come or do I not ask him to come? Make sure that your destination is Nibbana. Your intention is bliss for everyone. Right? Even, remember, because there's no Nibbana, your Nibbana, my Nibbana. We talked about this. Yeah? If you have to go home so that someone else can come and attain Nibbana, that's the right choice to make. Right? I hope I never have to make that choice on someone's behalf. Right? If, say, an Anagarika Putta comes here and he doesn't want to do his Nibbana, but his mother does, or his, his son, his, uh, let's say his, uh, his uh, elder brother does, or maybe his sister does, right? but the sister can't come because she has to look after her mother, but because he's here, now she can't come here. On that occasion, if he is not willing to change, I'm more than happy to go and talk to him and say, Putta, why don't you go home and send your sister here because she wants to do Nibbana. You go and look after your mother. I have no qualms about that, absolutely none. Because this is not about saving men or women, because there are no such things. There are, there are minds that suffer because of ignorance and attachment. And we have a medicine that heals those wounds, that heals minds that suffer through, from ignorance and attachment. We don't have medicine for men or women. We don't have that kind of medicine. So if there's a patient, then they have to be ready to be treated. We don't reserve, you know, there are no beds reserved in hospitals for patients who don't wish to be treated. Do they? No. Those beds are in the cemetery. They don't want to be treated. They, they, you know, they rest in peace. No one comes to bother them. But if you're here, that's why Guru Thero always says, you know, once you're here, you know, don't come here for an easy ride. Because once you're here, you have to change. Every day, every moment, every second you have to change. Because change is the name of the game. Change is another name for Nibbana. You keep on changing until you are Nibbana. Nibbana is fixed, you have to change. That's why exclusively for aspirants of Nibbana. In other words, exclusively for people who wish to change. 
if you like meditation, right? So this is important and interesting. I think this would be very good advice for people who might one day, you know, they're listening to these uh, talks online. They want to come and join us one day, right? If you want to be sat down in isolation, meditate all day long, right? Come prepared to stop if your teacher says stop. Come prepared to stop. Come prepared to not meditate for a whole year if your teacher says no meditation for a whole year. Because the Nibbana that we see is that willingness to accept that. That is the Nibbana that we see. That is why when we talk about our, our monastery, you know, we, we, don't, we don't market our monastery. Market might not be the most appropriate term, but we don't, we don't advertise our monastery or market our monastery as a place where you can come and meditate in solitude. Because then that's giving the wrong picture. Right? But there are individuals who wish to do that. Right? Perhaps in the future, maybe there will be some place where we can get people to come there, you know, just, just until, you know, the, 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 the dust settles, you know, until they realize, okay, I've done meditation for two weeks, now what do I do next? Because that will happen. I've meditated for two weeks, what do I do next? The, the question, what do I do next, means those two weeks <laughs> have, not really, have not really done much for them. Right? So, so at that point, we'll say, okay, you've done your meditation for two weeks now? Right. Now let's do what I, I ask you to do. It's that willingness to change. That is what Nibbana is. If you have anything fixed, anything fixed, I have to do it this way. You know, my way? My way or the highway, right? If you have anything fixed, then that is what is going to cause you suffering. We are not here to meditate. We are here to free ourselves from suffering. We are not here to preach the Dhamma or listen to the Dhamma. We are here to free ourselves from suffering. We are not here to ordain. Believe you me, we are not here to ordain. Although it seems like every other man that comes in through those gates, we put a robe around his shoulders and shave his head. Right? Although it might seem like it, we are not here. We are not in the business of ordaining people. We are in the business of ordaining minds. That's what we do. So come to change. Change is what we do here. Come and change. Change and go. Because for as long as there's this perception of self that you experience, right, your business will be. And if you want to sustain that, if you want to maintain that, you will always want to keep that fixed and change the outside world. That is the lay attitude. That is the lay attitude. We talked about the lay attitude, right? But the monk's attitude. Right, the, the ascetic's attitude, the shramana's attitude. See, shramana, right? Now it's to do with the mind. So where the mind is what needs to change here, not the outside. Right? So the, 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 the shramana attitude is where you identify that this, this, this joy, this, this happiness, this, this self-based joy, that I, this sukha that I, that I experience, is flawed. Right? This is not the this is not the real thing. This is simply a hallucination. And keeping it happy is a meaningless task. Nothing nothing will be gained out of doing that. Therefore, I need to destroy this. I need to free myself from this. But it's not something you can do by torturing yourself. It's not something you can do by starving yourself. It's not something you can do by you know scorching yourself in the sun. No, this is a practice. Understanding the Dhamma. And then 
gradually, slowly, steadily practicing the Dhamma. But you need those four things. You need the inspiration. You need the motivation. Of course you need it, but inspiration and motivation aren't going to get you to your destination. For that, you need determination and you need discipline. That discipline, you need to be responsible, each and every one of you, for yourselves. I can't be disciplined on your behalf. Determination, have it. Make sure you have it. Uh, how do you know you have it? When there are tough times. Yeah, when you have tough times, ask yourself, am I willing to change myself or am I hoping that the situation will change itself? If you are willing to change yourself, that is a sign that you are determined. That is a sign that you're determined. If you want to go to Kandy and you're in Colombo, right? If there's a roadblock, what would you do? If you had to go, you'd find another route. If that road is blocked, you'd find yet another route. That's what the navigator does, right? You put, you punch in your destination and you hit go. And then from the time, if there's a roadblock, if there's traffic up ahead and it starts, you know, we are going to redirect you, rerouting. If you have a compass that is directed towards your Nibbana, and if you, are, if you are mentally in that mode of, I will somehow get to my destination, and that is your navigator, right? Every time there's a roadblock, you will always navigate yourself around those roadblocks. Not turn around and go back. When does, it, when does Tom Tom ever say, no, you know what, you can't go, head back home. You know what Tom Tom is? Hmm? As a navigator, as a navigator. Okay. When does your navigator say, hmm? Jane, <laughs> Yeah, remember Jane on Tom Tom? Jane is the navigator. Jane is the voice on the navigator, the artificial voice. So Jane, when does Jane ever say, you can't go to your destination, please head back home? Never says that. It'll always keep trying to find a route. Always. Non-stop, relentlessly, it'll try to keep finding a route. And those routes, you will find yet more obstacles, yet more challenges. Embrace them. I'll say it again, embrace them because those are the opportunities for you to grow. Nibbana is not the destination that you're going to get to. It is the change that happens to you as you get to that destination. After all, actually, Nibbana is not a destination. It is your change. It is how you change when life comes to you. That is Nibbana. So whenever you have that opportunity, whenever you are, whenever you are prompted and, 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 you, and you have to change, right? That is a chance, that is an opportunity to do Nibbana. That's why I say that doesn't happen on Saturdays. It happens on every other day of the week. It happens when you realize that the rice is running out and you're not going to get any lunch today. That's when it happens. It happens when, you, when you know, there's a seat that you always sit in here and you come in on one fine day and someone else has taken that seat. That's when Nibbana can happen, if you do it. That's when Nibbana can happen. <laughs> See, I can't give you Nibbana, can I now? If it's your change, how can I give you Nibbana on a plate? It can't be served on a plate. We give you the ingredients. You have to be the chef. Cook it, serve it, eat it, and enjoy it. Your understanding of the Dhamma will soften you up. Like the other day, I drew, I drew the, 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 the pipe 
in which we were trying to pass the balls, remember? Right? When you are when you are softened up, you you are able to accept anything and everything. That is Nibbana. It is not a place somewhere. It is happening to you right now. <laughs> not today. <laughs> that is Nibbana. So I, I, I say again and again, embrace, embrace change. Absolutely, madam. Yeah. Because uh, how you turn what towards Nibbana is a good question to ask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, whenever you feel that, that resistance, right? That resistance is the distance between you and Nibbana. You feel that resistance because there is something about you that is not yet Nibbana. Because there cannot be resistance. In, in, in the state of ultimate Nibbana, ultimate bliss, that is why they say it's ultimate bliss. In ultimate bliss, there can't be any resistance, there can't be any suffering, there can't be any pain or friction. Anything and everything should be okay. So, you know, like, like, a, like, a, like a king who, who goes to war right, and he wants to win the battle, it is not to his advantage if the enemies hide themselves in the bushes, in the caves, under the ground. It is not to his advantage because the moment he turns his back thinking that he's won the war and he starts trotting back to, the, uh, to, the, to his castle, you know what the enemies are going to do then? Yeah, they're going to come out of their hiding right, and they're going to start shooting. So it's in a king's advantage that all enemies come out of their hiding and show themselves so that the king can go and shoot them down. So if you are true warriors in the Dhamma, yeah, then you must be glad that there are situations that come to you. Problem situations, issues, challenges and obstacles because those are the obstacles, those are the challenges, those are the enemies that you have to kill so that you can then become king. You can then become victorious. It is not the situation itself that is a problem. It is your attitude towards those situations that is the problem. Because the same situation presented to someone else will cause them no bother at all. So how so? Because to them it is not a problem, but to you it might be. This is proof that the situation is not the problem. If someone gives you red rice, you don't like red rice, you like white rice. Hmm? Red rice is not the problem. Neither is white rice. But if you're not happy about the fact that you've just been served red rice when you wanted white rice, that is the problem because you are not prepared to accept whatever has come your way. So this is not a case of forcefully accepting it. That, that is being patient. Patience is a virtue. It's good. It's not bad. Right? You're not telling yourself, no, I have to accept the red dress because you know, both are same. This is a virtue. 
But I'm talking about deep inside, when there is actually no resistance to it, when there is actually no resistance to it, not when there is resistance, but you try to pretend that there isn't, that is not what we're talking about. That is patience. Patience is good. It's a virtue, but patience is not the, the, the destination. That's not the end, end goal. Remember, an arahant is not patient. The Buddha is not patient. He is willing to accept all and any. How is that possible? When you understand the Dhamma, when you understand what about the Dhamma, when you understand that there is nothing that is separable. Now that's what brings us to, to the doctrine. When you understand that there is nothing separable, now you don't see red rice and white rice. Not physically. There you do. But it's not the physical sight that causes you this pain. It's your perception that there, are, there is truly a, a, a separate kind of white rice and a separate thing called the red rice. And they are, they are very distinct in their own way. Your perception of them too as being very two separate and distinct things is the problem. And then there's, there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. There are pretty things and there are ugly things in this world. Do, do you remember the other day I gave you the, the story uh, of a man who lives in the world, right? He's got lots of stuff. He separates the two pretty things and ugly things. And then he goes blind. Remember the story? Yeah. And then he goes to the doctor. The doctor promises him, yep, I can give you your sight back. But once you regain your sight, you will only from here on be able to see the ugly stuff. You won't be able to see the, the pretty stuff. Is that all right with you? And the man says, well, if it's, that's my choice, then I'll accept it. Fine. So please give me my sight back. And he gets his sight back. Now he sees only the things that he thought was ugly. You know what he does in two days' time? He separates that lot. He says, these are the pretty things and these are the ugly things. That's what he does. And then, if he was to go blind again, hmm, and then again given the option, I'll give you a side back, but you can only see the ugly stuff. What do you think he's going to say? Oh, yes. <laughs> and then in the, in the ugly stuff, he'll still find prettier things. Meaning, there was never any pretty or ugly. It was simply a perception. And besides, right, when it's all the same, when it's all the same like this, that's not good. That doesn't make you happy. Because you, know, you need to find a way to split this up. That's why if there was a basket of flowers, different colors, right, that would always look prettier than a basket of flowers with all the same colored flowers. Because now you can separate things. This ugly and pretty business is simply, it's simply an excuse that you give to separate the world into two different things. It is an extension of separation. You know, I mean, you know, after all, right? Once you've separated this as a flower from everything else, Hmm? once you've separated this as a flower from everything else and once you've also separated this as another flower from everything else hmm? once these are two flowers that you have separated from everything else I mean, why not go another step further and tell us which one's pretty and which one's ugly because that's a separation you can do forever and ever and ever 
This is a white flower. It will never be a black flower. But when you say this is a pretty flower, now you can always keep changing your mind and forever keep separating. How so? Like the example I gave you a moment ago. What is pretty today, you can say is ugly tomorrow. This pretty and ugly business is simply an excuse that the mind takes to separate things and keep on separating things. Even in the ugly stuff, you can still find pretty stuff. In the pretty stuff, you can find ugly stuff. right? And in the ugly stuff, you can find even uglier stuff. And in the pretty stuff, you can find even prettier stuff. Meaning, this is a device that you use to separate with infinite possibilities. So you never have to stop. You can just keep on splitting it. Keep on separating it. See how lovely. This beautiful and pretty nonsense. It's, 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 a device, it's a strategy that the mind uses just to keep on separating things. Because that is not there in, in, in the flower. Pretty is not there in the flower. Ugly is not there in the flower. So you might as well invent something. If, the, if what the mind wants is separation, you might as well invent something that you can then go on to use forever and forever and forever to keep on separating the world. Do you see how, how mad the mind has gone? That, that, that's how I understand this, this, this pretty and ugly nonsense. It is a device, it is a strategy that the mind uses. Therefore, whereby it is never exhausted, it can never comprehensively and exhaustively separate and then say, that's it, done. You cannot. When you have ugly and pretty, right? there's never enough. There's never an end. Do you agree? There's never an end. Find, find the, the, the 20 most beautiful women in the world. Can you not find... And now I ask you, find the, the more in, in and amongst the 20, right? Pick the most beautiful 10. Can't you do that? Of course you can. And in that 10, I tell you, pick the most beautiful 5. Can't you do that? Of course you can do that. And then in that 5, I say, can pick the most beautiful 4. You can do that. And the 3, and you can do that. And the 2, and you can do that. And I say, amongst these two, these are the, you know, the, the most beautiful women in the world. The two most beautiful women, and I said, find the most beautiful. You can still do that. <laughs> You can still do that. Now what about the rest, the 19 others? You can do it yet again. Take the most beautiful women out. Now you have 19 left. Right? Let's start all over again. Hmm? Now ask her to go and take a seat in the audience. Right? And then you can get her involved as well and say, right, now pick the most beautiful 10 women in the world. And you can do that. And now the most beautiful 5. You can do that. And the 4, and the 3, and the 2, and the 1. And you can do that. Now ask her to come and sit in the audience. Now you have 18. Right, let's start again. See? Meaning, there's not an end to this. For as long as there are things in this world, right? for as long as there are women standing on that stage, you can keep on splitting. You can keep on separating. So this is a cunning strategy. This is a cunning strategy that the mind has developed, evolved for itself so that it can keep on separating. People fall for it not knowing this truth. They think it's there. And once you think that beauty is there in the object and you don't know that this is simply the mind relieving from vexation and you think that it's there in the object, now you, 
there's no end. That is why when you start on this path in, in, in the doctrine, right? Now you, you have all come a long way. You have all come some way, right? If ever you, whenever you come across someone who's brand new, don't talk to them immediate, immediately about what we're talking about these days. One of the best places you can start talking to them about is where is beauty? Start there. It's a, it's a very powerful place to start. Give them lots of examples and explain to them and help them understand, help them realize for themselves that the beauty that they have always been seeing in a flower was never in it. And for that you have enough examples and more. And we've talked about many hundreds of examples, if not more, here. Convince them that beauty is not there. Then you can help them understand. So if it's not there, it's something that you feel on the inside, isn't it? Then they'll have to agree, yes, it is something I feel on the inside. So, but when it happens, you fall into trouble, don't you? Right? If it's something that is nice, you want to get it for yourself. And then once you get it for yourself, you have to protect it. And all the pain that comes with that. And besides, you're seeing something that does not really exist. Isn't that a problem? You ask them. And they say, yes. So you, I'm, I'm seeing something that does not exist. This is like seeing a hallucination. It's like seeing a ghost, an apparition. So how do I save myself from that? How do I get out of that? Now you start telling them, right? Well, the reason that you see these things is because your mind wishes to separate. Your mind wishes to separate. Ignorantly. Your mind wishes to separate. Then you start talking to them about this, this, this separation business. How we once talked about the, the, the Scrabble, right? So you can see, you know, this is all a planned path for you, right? All the way up to where, you, where, you, where you've gotten yourselves today. Right? How nothing is ever finished. Anything and everything is, is in churn. You know, it's in, it's in constant motion. Nothing is ever finished. There is never a finished product. It's always, an, it's, it's, it's always cooking, never finished. So that, that they then begin to understand. So if that's the case, then, then there is nothing that is fixed. So when there is nothing fixed, then what is there? It's a manifestation. A manifestation of causes that always come together when there are causes and they disperse when the causes have passed away. And so there is nothing that is a fixed entity. So when there is no flower then, how do you see a pretty flower? So you bring them there. This is a flower, yes, but not a fixed flower. This is not a separate flower. This is not a flower that can never be anything else. This is simply manifestation of the causes that manifested in this moment. In the next moment, you still see the flower because the same causes keep coming together. That is why you still see the same flower. And for as long as you see the same causes coming together, you will continue to see the same flower. But it's not the same flower. It's not a different flower either. It depends on what, how, how you mean it when you ask the question. Yeah. So, so at what point does it stop being a flower? It was never a flower to, not, to stop being a flower. I remember the gentleman asked a question uh, the other day. So why does it only go one way? This withers and dies. Why does it not go the other way? Well, it does. It, it withers and dies because you have, you have separated a flower in this journey. Yeah, yeah you framed it. Uh, in, in, this, in this path, this was, once, this was once a pumpkin. Or at least we called it a pumpkin because when we say pumpkin, we have a configuration Right? We have a configuration of energy and matter that we choose to call a pumpkin. 
at there, there was a point in this energy and matter combination that it took that shape. It took that configuration, so you called it a pumpkin. Today you call it a flower. So this is, but this is not a fixed flower. This is not a finished flower. This is not a finished anything. It's in a phase. This is in a phase of change because change is the only constant. So it's keep on, it keeps on changing. So once you understand that, now where is the flower to be pretty? Only when you separate something can you then say there are pretty things and there are ugly things. And that separation, you can't help it when you feel that you are a separate entity to everything else. Yeah. So once you see that, now you begin to realize that this is only a perception that you have about you being a separate entity, about you being a being. Right? You, you begin to understand that concept. And then once you understand that concept, you realize, okay, so this is Dukkha. Because now you've seen Anicca, you've seen Dukkha, and then you understand Anatta. Like we discussed last week, Sabbe Sankara Anichati, Sabbe Sankara Dukkhati, and Sabbe Dhamma Anattati. What there, what there isn't are the products of jati. That's what there isn't. But what there is, is name, form, right? Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana. Those things are there. The, the, the Nama aggregates and the Rupa aggregates. Those things are there. But what's not there are these presentations that you, you project to the outside. Those things are not there. That is why, you know, one person's, one person's daughter can be another person's wife. How come the same person can be daughter to one and wife to somebody else? How come one person's son can be another person's uh, friend? Uh, it, it, is, it is the projection that you project mentally to an aggregate of name and form. Nama and Rupa. These are projections of a mind that also experiences that it is a self. When the mind experiences it is that it is a self, now it projects that selfness or that beingness to, to everything, including other, other aggregates of, of, of Nama and Rupa. That's what happens. And, and you know, the reason that you see this as a very distinct and individual uh, Rupa, which is a flower and, and not anything else, and this is separate, is because once you wear those glasses, you can't help yourself from seeing it that way. So this you're helpless when, when, when this is presented to you, right? When you sense a self, you're helpless. You can't not see this as a fixed object. The only time when you can help it is when you start to reflect on the Dhamma and you start to reflect on the dependent origination process, cause and effect. And once, when that reflection is running in the mind, now jati is suppressed. And once jati is suppressed, now you begin to see, because the glasses have come off, at least temporarily, when the glasses have come off, at least temporarily, now you see the world as it really is, that all things are in a state of flux, that there are no fixed entities out there. So that is not to say that there is nothing out there, there is matter, there is energy. Yeah, but what there is are configurations of matter and energy. There is not, there is not a fixed combination, not a fixed configuration, 
That is not there. But when you have jati here, you feel that you are something like that. Remember, we talked about this, right? It is the chitta that arises and passes away. How can in one chitta you feel you've done something 10 years ago and still feel that it was you who did that? How is that ever possible? That chitta was not even there one chitta cycle ago. So what about 10 years ago? And then you project things that you're planning on doing in two years' time or even tomorrow. And then think about all the pain that comes as a result. You have an exam tomorrow. You're stressing today. (laughs) This is not the chitta that's going to sit the exam tomorrow. So why stress? See, as I say, now we have answers for exam stress. You don't need to take pills for that. You just need to understand the Dhamma. So if you have someone who has got exam stress, bring them. Hopefully they won't go back again. If they understand this, like, then, they, then they don't have anyone to go back to or anything to go back worthwhile for. Because they understand freeing myself from suffering is the only thing that is really worth doing. <laughs> that is the only thing that's worth doing. Everything else you've done was because you experienced this self. Now when you begin to understand the self is madness. right? Like Natasha's mother, when she realized that this was just a log, right? Would she still carry on doing all the things that she did for her child? Would she? Wouldn't she understand that all those things that I did were in vain? Pointless, meaningless, essenceless, useless and futile. Right? I took the log to the shower and bathed it. I took the, I took the log to the, to the kitchen and fed it. I, I dressed the log up in clothes and put some shoes on right? and I took it to school. Uh, I, I put it on a cot and, and put it to sleep. And I sang doi 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 baba. You know how meaningless that was. She's going to understand that the moment she realizes this is a log. And and when that when when she begins to see it, from then on, the only thing that she'll want to do is to continue taking her meds. Yeah? If she knows that she's only just seen that, that that one glimpse that she got that this is a log, not a child, but that she knows from time to time, if when I when when it goes bad. I begin to see a child again. Now the only thing that she'll want to do is to make sure that she gets her medicines on time. Yeah? That's what she does. And then she'll say, she'll, she'll offer herself, please can I take myself and, and, and be in the hospital? Previously, if you tried, and took her, if you tried to take her to the, uh, the pediatrist, she would, she would go to the pediatrist, but she would never go to the mental asylum. She'd take the log and say, I want to go see the, children, the, the pediatrist because my, my child is ill. But now that she's seen that this is just a log, now she doesn't want to go to the pediatrist. Now she wants to go to the, to the mental asylum or to the doctor that gives, to the psychologist, to the psychiatrist who can, who can treat her for that. That's why whatever problem you have seen, you will fight for a solution. People out there, they see the problem as being, there are threats that come to me. There are challenges that come to me. There are things that make me unhappy and therefore I have to fight them. That is what people out there are doing. So they are fighting the problem that they see. You, on the other hand, are fighting the problem that you see. The only difference is that you are seeing two different problems. You see that I am the problem. The self is the problem. Not the things that come to this problem. I am the problem. So you are fighting that battle. They are fighting a different battle. We are all fighting. The only difference is we will win. Because this fight is a, it has an end. That fight has no end because they're not trying to kill the self. They're trying to keep the self and keep all the things that are coming to the self to try and attack it. So therefore, that's a fight that will never end. 
whereas this is a fight that has an end. Therefore, this is the only fight that is worth fighting. Evidence that that fight is a never-ending fight is they've been fighting all sansara. And you fought that battle earlier and you have come here today because you have realized that is pointless. Seldom do you have someone who actually fights this battle and then goes, no, this is not the fight for me. I want to go and fight that battle. Very seldom does that happen. And if, that, if it happens, they have not seen the light. They have not understood the truth. You can't help it. There are, from time to time, you know, there is the odd one that gets away. Okay, time's up for today. Oh, good Lord. So I took this flower basket to remind you, whenever you're out doing things right, at home, cooking, cleaning, washing the dishes, ironing the clothes, whatever, make use of every opportunity to reflect on the Dhamma. Because even if a basket of flowers can prompt you for one second to reflect on the Dhamma, that's one step forward, one step forward. You know, take one step at a time, that's okay. At least that's a step in the right direction, right? But if you look at these flowers and go, ooh, lovely flowers, I like that arrangement. Hmm, where do you get them from? That's many steps backwards. But look at that once and think, I see. You know, what is here is an aggregate, but there's one here that seems like it's one. So there's a contemplation there to be done. That is a moment of insight. That one moment of insight will take you one step forward. That's why Guru Hanra says, whatever you know, you do, chopping your carrots, you know, chopping your onions, you know, cooking, cleaning, washing, feeding the children, whatever you do, right, make use of those opportunities to insightfully inspect the Dhamma. When you're here, we make you do it 24-7. But when you're there, you have to be diligent in your quest to find those opportunities. That is the discipline that I can't give you. I can give you inspiration, I can motivate you, but determination and discipline, you have to find them yourself. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired today by chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds to all those who deserve it. First and foremost, let us take a moment to transfer the merits to those who have given us the Dhamma in the form of the Sripitaka. And let us take a moment to be incredibly grateful and to be, to be incredibly grateful to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved and passed down the, the Dhamma to the generations of the noble lineage, which is available today to study, understand and comprehend the truth. Let us take a moment to transfer the message we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha who are present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out, out with others or inviting others to join them, 
and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plain, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May to the power of these merits, they prosper in divine, I beg your pardon. May to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery and to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. And may, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samadha Sasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoicing the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes landslides and pandemics, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. May to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may to the power of the blessings and, and all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Mahanse, an Arahatun Mahanse in this life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. May the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all.